The following is a message from Christ the King Presbyterian Church in Roanoke, Virginia. For more information about the ministry of Christ the King, please visit us at ctkroanoke.org. Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Christ the King. Uh, if you are a guest or a visitor, welcome. Uh, we're glad that you're with us. My name is Penny, and I'm the pastor here. And uh, friends, it is good to be with you. Um, I was away uh, last week. Uh, I was away on a, a pastor's retreat every year. Many of you know I have a, a cohort of pastors. There are nine of us from all over the country. There's one who uh, resides in Canada. He flies down to spend time with us as well. Um, and we spend one week together in Hickory, North Carolina, praying for one another, talking with one another, um, seeking to be a blessing to one another. And so I was away and, and wasn't with y'all uh, last Sunday. And, and I do have to say, just being away for like one week, um, I, I think I say this every time, but, uh, but it feels like forever to me uh, when I'm away from y'all uh, because uh, I love you and miss you and love being your pastor. And so it is just great to be back with you, uh, to see your faces and to be able to hear your voices and to come to God's word. And so uh, this morning we are uh, coming to Matthew chapter 25. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to Matthew 25. Uh, we are looking at the second half, or really it's the middle section of Matthew 25. Last week, Tobias began uh, Matthew 25 by looking at the first parable, the parable of the ten virgins. And you remember, if you're here with us, that, that he said that, that Jesus tells us that the kingdom of heaven is likened to these virgins who are waiting for the bridegroom to arrive. And this, this became evident, what, what Jesus was describing, what he was teaching us, that Christ has gone away and that we are to anticipate his coming. And we anticipate his coming by waiting. We wait. That's what we're supposed to do. Well, this morning, we conclude our series in the kingdom parables by looking at the exact, at the parable that comes exactly after, immediately following the parable from last week. And it's picking up on a similar theme, that Jesus has gone away, that the master is away, and that one day he will return. The passage begins, for it will be like the it being the kingdom of heaven. That the kingdom of heaven, this is how we are to live as members of the kingdom of heaven while we wait for Jesus to return. But, but different from last week is that we don't simply wait, but we are called to work while we wait. And so let's go ahead and read Matthew 25, beginning in verse 14. Jesus said, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded them with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, 
You delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had received the one talent, came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we come to it knowing that apart from your work in our lives, apart from the movement of your spirit, we will not live as your kingdom people. We will go our own way. We will do our own things. And so we need your help. I need your help so that my words would honor you. We need your help so that we would be attentive to your word. And so we pray that you would help us now so that we would live as your kingdom people today and all of our days. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, Philippe de Montebello was the longest tenured director of the museum, the Metropolitan Museum of Art in New York City. At the time of his retirement, at the time of his stepping down, he had served for 31 years, longer than any other director before him. Under his leadership, the museum increased in size, they built new buildings, they increased in square footage, but the museum also increased in acquisitions. You see, over that 31-year tenure, De Montebello, he, he acquired and purchased new paintings, new pieces of art. He received donations from people all over the world. He accumulated over 84,000 new works for the museum, from sculptures to paintings, from dresses to rugs. At the time of his stepping down, the collection numbered over 2 million different pieces. It would have to be a sight, wouldn't it? I have to tell you, I can only imagine what it would be like. I've never been to the Met. I would love to go one day to walk those halls to see these beautiful pieces of art, but, but I can only imagine some of those 84,000 pieces. And only you can imagine it as well. Even if you've been to the Met, even if you've walked those halls, even if you've seen a number of those pieces of art, there's a good likelihood that you haven't seen some of the ones that De Montebello acquired. Now, you would think that over those 31 years, as he acquired these 84,000 pieces, that, that after they cataloged it, after they got the insurance, after they figured out where to place it, that they would get them up on the walls as soon as possible, right? I mean, these amazing works of art, this beauty, the skill and excellence that would have gone into forming these sculptures and painting these paintings, they would, they would want to show it off, wouldn't they? This incredible gift that they could give to the public. They could steward what has been given to them so that others would receive that blessing. You would think they would do that, wouldn't you? Well, you would be wrong. 
because that's not what they did. You see, we can only imagine what these pieces look like because though there are over two million pieces, many of them aren't on display at the Met. Many of them are packed away in a storage facility somewhere in New Jersey. You know, the Met, it boasts that they have the greatest Islamic rug collection in the Western world. But we'd have to take their word for it. Because no one in the public has ever seen it, at least up until a few years ago. In fact, it is buried so deep in the the recesses of the storage facility that the curator of the Islamic rug portion of the museum hasn't even seen it all. You see, what they've done is they've taken this amazing work of art, this incredible gift to the public, and they've hidden it away. They've hoarded it for themselves so that no one else can see it, so that no one else receives the blessing of seeing it. And it's something of that that's happening in our parable. There has been a great gift that has been given to God's servants, to his people, and there is an expectation that they would use it. That the master gives gifts to his people. The passage begins with the master going on a journey. And he calls three servants to him and he entrusts to them some of his property. That's what we read in verse 15. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one. To each according to his ability. Now, a talent in the ancient world, it wasn't talking about gifts, it wasn't talking about abilities, it wasn't talking about like how great of a singer you are or something like that. A talent was a monetary unit, and it was a monetary unit that equaled about 20 years' wages. Okay, so to put it into our perspective, if you make $50,000 a year, nice round number for us non-math people, that means what was given to these servants was uh, 10, or excuse me, 5 and 2 and $1 million. Okay, so, so, I mean, good amounts of money were given to these people, to these servants to, to take with them, to hold on to, that as the ser- master goes away, He gives them these portions of his possession. And he doesn't say how long he'll go. And he doesn't say what they are to do with it. He simply entrusts them with his property. But there's the clear expectation that they're supposed to do something, right? That they are to steward what has been given to them. You see, ultimately, that's what the servants are. They are stewards. The talents are still the master's property. Right? Like he didn't give them to them and say, this is yours forever. I'll never ask them. No, in fact, we know later in the parable when he returns, they seek to return the money back to him. He never gave it to them for them to hold on to forever. No, it was simply for them to steward, to care for his property while he's away. And the analogy is clear, isn't it? How Jesus is using this. Jesus is the master. He's the master and he's gone away. And we know that he has from the gospel accounts, right? That Jesus, after his life and death and resurrection, he ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the father. He sat on David's throne, but he's not going to remain there forever. One day he's going to return. And it's in that in-between time between his ascension and his return that we live right now. And it's that in-between time that Jesus is speaking of in this parable, That as we wait for Christ's return, he's given us gifts. Now, the parable is speaking of talents, of of money. But we also know from other passages, like Ephesians chapter 4, that when Jesus ascended, he gave gifts to his church, to you and to me. 
And so before we go any further, what we must do, what we must recognize and acknowledge is that everything that we have, it comes from him. That all the gifts that we have, they are not ours. They are the gifts that he has given to us. Our talents, our abilities, our gifts, our money, our possessions, ultimately they are all his, and he gives them out of his kindness and grace. And we need to see this. It's important that we see this because we often operate not like they are his gifts, but they are our gifts. Right? It seems like one of the first words that uh, children learn after they learn mama, dada, uh, milk, please, or as, as one child uh, yelled out, amen. You know, that's a good first word. That was, be- that was awesome, right? Like, this is why we have children in our midst. Uh, but, um, right, it seems like after those important words, the word that every child learns is mine. Mine, right? Yeah, I didn't, y'all knew. Y'all knew where I was going with that. Mine. You didn't have to think hard. And when they say mine, they don't say it like in a calm, sort of, you know, uh, regulate sort of a way. They scream it, mine, right? That's what kids do. And out of the mouths of babes is the reflection of our hearts. Because though we don't scream on, we tightly hold on to our things, and we cling to our possessions, and with our hearts we say, mine. But as the Apostle Paul asks, what do we have that we have not received? And in Exodus chapter 19, God says, all of the earth is mine. You see, if Jesus is the king over the universe, then that means that everything in the universe is his. Not just like the spiritual things, not just his people, not just his church, not just our hearts, not just our minds, not just our souls and spirits, but everything is his. He is the king, and so everything in this world belongs to him. Or as Abraham Kuyper, the great Dutch theologian, put it, there is not a square inch in the whole domain of our human existence over which Christ, who is sovereign over all, does not cry, mine. It is his, and he is the only one who can rightfully say, mine. All that we have are gifts from the master. And we are called to be stewards of those gifts. You see, that's the responsibility of the servants, to steward what has been given to them. And that's what the first two servants do. That's what we see in verses 16 through 17. He who, may, he who had received the first five talents went at once and traded with them and had, had made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. And so the first two, they act as proper servants. They steward what has been given to them, and they do so by using it for the good of the master. They accumulate more for the master, not for themselves. But the third, well, he didn't work while the master was away. We read in verse 18, he who received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, this, might, this seems very strange to me. I, I came to find out after the first service that, that this is actually common to some people. You know, like you put money in a coffee can and put it in the backyard. I, I had never met anyone who did that, but after the first service, I met my first one. 
But for me, this seems bizarre, right? It seems strange. Why would I hide money in the freezer or under a, you know, unless I'm trying to, regardless, right? It just seems bizarre to us. But in this world, in the ancient world, this was a common practice. You would hide objects for safekeeping. And what he is doing is he is ensuring that he wouldn't lose what he had been given. But he's also ensuring that he will gain nothing. He will not lose what has been given, but he also will not take the risk. He will not seek to increase what his master has given him. Like the Met, he sits on it and hides it away for no one to see. The first two servants, they work diligently. They used what had been given to them to increase what had been given to them. But the third just onto it. So what do we think about this? I mean, none of them lost the money. That's something that we can affirm. That sounds good. But, but what do we think about it? Well, the response of the master tells us what we are to think. When he returns, the servants present what they've done. And the one talent servant says in verse 25, Master! I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. Now, before we go on, before we say anything more about what the servant did or didn't do, we have to acknowledge that what he is saying about the master is a complete insult. It is like he is slapping the master in the face. You hear what he says, right? The master is hard. He takes what is not his. He sows where he does not reap, and he gathers where he scattered no seed. He's basically saying, Master, I know you are harsh and hard, and you are a thief. And so he's insulting the master. And how does the master respond? You knew that I reap where I have not sown, and gather where I scattered no seed? Now, don't think of this as the master affirming or approving of the claims of the servant. That's not what's happening here. No, what the master is saying is he's saying, if, if you thought this about me, if you thought I was harsh, if you thought I was hard, if you thought that I took what was not mine, then why would you do what you did? Why would you just leave your money in the ground? Why wouldn't you have at least taken it to the bank and made a little bit of interest and then I'd be a little bit happy with you? Why didn't you do anything if this is what you think about me? And the reason is clear, isn't it? He was wicked and slothful, lazy and evil. You see, what the master is doing is he is taking the servant's words and he is turning them on himself, and he is using these words as judgment over the servant himself. He's wicked. James Montgomery Boyce, the the, uh, famous Presbyterian pastor, said he is wicked because of his unjustified slander, and he is lazy because he produced no growth. And so he's punished. He's punished by having what had been given to him taken away. He's punished by being cast away from the presence of the master. You see, by refusing to use the gifts, he was refusing the master himself. And so the third servant should serve as a warning to us. 
a warning about how we think about God. I mean, how do you think about God? I already said that everything in this world is his. How do you think about that? Is he harsh? Does he take what is not his? This should serve as a warning about how we think of God and how we approach the Lord and what we do with what he has given us. Because the master responds in judgment, in punishment. But that's not the only response the master gives. To the first two, he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. That phrase, well done. Oh, sorry. Uh, That phrase, well done, it's one Greek word. And in the Greek, it, it means bravo. Bravo. That's wonderful, isn't it, to think about that this is what the master declares? He says, bravo. It is a wonderful declaration that is spoken over these servants, but it's also a little bit surprising, isn't it? It's a little surprising because he says it to both his servants, right? Did you hear that? To both of them, to the five talent and to the two talent. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. It's surprising because we expect bravo to the five talent servant, don't we? We expect celebration and rejoicing, but, but to the two talent, we expect the celebration to be a little more muted, Not a standing ovation, but more like a golf clap, right? Y'all remember golf claps? Like, I know nowadays, like, Tiger Woods steps up, he drives the ball 300 yards, and everybody whoops and hollers and yells. But, But there was a day, kids, when you weren't allowed to do that at the golf course. Someone hit a beautiful shot, and you just, very nice, well done, on to the next hole, right? The golf clap. That's what we would expect him to do with the second servant, but that's not what he does, To the five-talent servant and to the two-talent servant, they both hear, bravo, well done. He rejoices over both because both have been faithful with what they have been given. And y'all, this is so important for us. It's so important for us because we can become so focused on what others have been given and what others do with their gifts that we get sidetracked with what we're to do. We think with our minds, and we wonder with our hearts, why does she have so much wealth? Why does he have those abilities? Why don't I? Right? We, we think, if, if I had those gifts, those abilities, those, that wealth, I would do great things, and I would do them in great ways. I would do better things in better ways than them. But y'all, that's the wrong way of thinking. The question shouldn't be why those people with those gifts. The better question, the question we should be asking is, Lord, what would you have me do with my gifts? The gifts you have given to me. How can I be faithful with the money and the gifts and the time and the family and the whatever you fill in the blank with? that you have given. You see, the call is to faithfully work unto the Lord with whatever he has given you. Whether you are a five or a two or a one-talent servant, we are to serve him with whatever he has given us. And we do this not because he's hard, not because 
what he, he takes what is not his, not because we are afraid. We do this because the master is generous. It is Jesus who says to us, enter into the joy of your master. What a beautiful statement. Enter into the joy of your master in the presence of the master, in the presence of the king. There is joy. You see, friends, the difference between these two groups of people, the, the one talent servant and the other servants, the difference isn't simply about how they worked while they waited. It actually, the difference comes down to how they view the master. For the one, the master is harsh and cruel and unjust, but for the other, he is kind and gracious and generous because that's who he is. This master is the one, Jesus, who gave his life to free us from our sin, and he generously showered us with gifts. And he gives us more. Did you see that? That, that he says to the faithful ones, you have been faithful over a little, I will set over you much. And he takes from the one who was unfaithful, and he gives it to the faithful ones. Right? This isn't Jesus saying that that the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. He's not talking economically here. He's talking spiritually, and we experience this, don't we? That as we are faithful unto him, it seems like our faith seems to grow, doesn't it? That as we say no to sin and we say yes to godliness, doesn't it get easier to keep saying no to God, ungodliness and sin and say yes to godliness? That he grows us in our faithfulness. That he gives and increases to us. And he does so because he's generous and gracious and kind. Because he is the one who says, enter into the joy of your master. And so friends, as we await his return, let us take all that he has given us. And let us work unto him. Let us take all that he has given to us and let us... As those called to be his stewards, let us work faithfully, knowing 1 Corinthians 15 that says that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Let us work in this time of in-between as a demonstration that he has made us his servants and let us wait to hear those beautiful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we do thank you Thank you that you have made us your own, that you have made us your servants to steward all that you have given us. And so I pray that that is how we would live, that we would take our gifts, our abilities, we would take our money and our relationships, we would take everything that you have given to us, which is all that we have, and that we would live with these things unto you making much of your name, giving you the glory that you deserve. And so we pray that you would help us to do this. Help us, Father, to live as your kingdom people. Help us today in all of our days. And we pray all this in the name of Jesus. And God's people said together, Amen.